It's so good to see you tonight. Uh, let's open our Bible to the book of Psalm. Would you please? I'd like for you to find the 88th Psalm. Uh, Psalm 88. Periodically, uh, over the past 15 years, I have paused uh, between our studies through a particular book of the Bible to reflect on a psalm or two. And uh, since doing uh, that, uh, we have walked through uh, 87 of the psalms together. And so tonight, before we begin the book of Nehemiah in the coming weeks, we uh, ended Ezra last week, and really, even though Ezra and Nehemiah are broken up into two particular books uh, in our canon of uh, Scripture, uh, they were originally one book, and so we're going to treat it as such as we continue uh, through the theme of this uh, return of the Jewish exiles back uh, to the land of promise. So since we're in between that, we concluded Ezra, we're going to jump into Nehemiah. Uh, I, I wanted to stop and look at the next psalm, the next psalm that we would uh, chronologically walk through during these breaks that we have periodically. And that next psalm leads us uh, to Psalm 88. And I pray that uh, this will be a help to you as we walk through it uh, together uh, tonight. Well, let's begin by reading the psalm, Psalm 88, uh, the subscript in uh, my translation identifies it as a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master according to Mahalath Lianath, which is believed to be a melody. Of course, it says a mascal of Heman, the Ezraite. Here's the word of the Lord. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You've caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? 
I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions, my friends have become darkness. Psalm 88 is unlike most psalms, especially in how it ends. Spurgeon called it the darkest of all the psalms. Many psalms, as we see here, are full of laments. Laments are simply intense expressions of pain and suffering, struggle and darkness. But most of those psalms, although they are filled with lament, they often end in hope. But not Psalm 88. It actually ends in darkness without any ray of light, without any note of hope. It begins in pain. Verse 3, he says, my soul is full of troubles and it ends in pain. Verse 18, darkness has become my companion. In other words, darkness has become my only friend. I think it's important anytime we study the Psalms that we remember that Psalms are prayer songs. The book of Psalms is the hymn book and the prayer book of the Bible. They are here to teach us how to sing. They are here to teach us how to pray. And according to the title, Psalm 88 is a sad song written to a somber medley. Because the Psalms teach us how to sing in this way, it's why one of our basic core convictions in our corporate singing is that we sing songs for the glad as well as for the sad. It teaches us that there are seasons in our lives in which our melodies are not joyful, but our melodies are filled with somber moods of melancholy spirits that are overwhelmed by the pressures that we face in life. This is one of those. Psalm 88 is a sad song written to a somber melody. The writer is Heman. He is noted in Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 4 as being a wise man, and his musical ability employed him into King David's service. From the little that we do know about him, we find that he was a good man. And through this song, he transparently opens up about the intense suffering of his life and how that pain and suffering took him to feelings of dark and lonely places. I've entitled it, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. And perhaps the sound of silence will now echo out in your mind. Well, that's essentially what he's saying as he closed the psalm. Darkness is my old friend from my youth up. Darkness is the only friend I have. 
want us to look at the psalm in two respects. Here's the first one. I want you to see, first of all, his experience. His experience. His experience here is recorded to us, for us, as going through the depths of darkness. The depths of darkness. In fact, as he's praying in verse 6, he says, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. That's how he describes his experience, the the depths of darkness. Now, the specifics of what is going on in Heman's life, we, we, we don't know, but I think that's important, and I'll explain why a little later. What we do know is how he felt in the experience. Several things that he describes about this experience of darkness, this, this pit of darkness that he is in. He describes it, first of all, as being overwhelmed by suffering. Overwhelmed by suffering. Verse 3, my soul is full of troubles. Verse 4, I am a man who has no strength. Verse 7, I am overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the waves that come against me. Whatever the specifics are about his suffering, he describes it as full, full of suffering. The the idea of not being able to see how it could get any worse than what it is right now or how that he can't handle any more. He's full, full of suffering. He also describes it as overwhelming. He's so overwhelmed. He doesn't even know where to start in trying to get out of this darkness that he's in. Verse 8, look at it. He says, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Hear stories of people who've tried to climb these high, high mountain peaks around the world and in those experiences where people have gone through avalanches and survived, the one thing they'll, they'll always say is that when the snow comes upon you in such an experience, you're looking around and filling up and down, but you, you don't know which way to turn. You are so closed in by the darkness. You're so trapped. You, you don't know which way's up. You, you don't know which direction is out. I'm so shut in, Heman says. I... I can't escape. So, so it appears as if he's not even sure it's possible to come out of this experience that he's in. Verse 17, they, that is his troubles, they, they surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. And so he makes it clear that he has no strength to carry on. And he has felt this way a long, long time. We might even conclude that whatever his suffering is, it's chronic suffering. Because notice what he says. Very interesting here. Verse 15. He says, from my youth up, I suffer. From my youth up, I've gone through these terrors. I am Helpless. It, it seems to be that this suffering is, is chronic suffering. He's carried it with him for a very long time. And he's reached the point where he realizes, I am so overwhelmed, so closed in. I don't think I'll ever get out of this. That's why he describes 
his experience as being one that is close to death. Close to death. He's not only overwhelmed by suffering, but he's close to death. Verse 3 says, my life draws near to Sheol. Sheol is a Hebrew word for the grave. I'm, I'm close to death. Remember, David, in his days of deep depression and darkness, he declared the same thing. He said, I feel like there's just a step between me and death. I feel like I could, I could die at any moment. I'm like the slain, verse 5, that lie in the grave. He feels as if he has been left for dead. In fact, he would later ask God in verse 10, listen to the question. Do you work wonders for the dead? You see how he classifies himself? I'm a dead man. I'm a dying man. I'm close to death. I feel like I've been left to die. God, do you help dead people like me? He goes on to say in that verse, do the departed, that is the dead, do they rise up and praise you? Is there anything that can be done for people who have been left to die? Verse 15, I am afflicted. I am close to death. I recognize tonight that there may be some in our church family who are experiencing similar things and you're wondering, will this ever get better? better, whatever your experience is, you're wondering, will what I'm going through right now ever get better? But Heman seems convinced that at least for him, it's never going to get better. He's overwhelmed with suffering. He feels close to death. And then another mark of his experience is that he's experiencing loneliness and abandonment. He's experiencing loneliness and abandonment. At least this is how he feels. He feels abandoned. He feels lonely as he talks about this dark experience. Look at it, verse 8. It's throughout the whole psalm. Verse 8, my companions, my friends, have, they've shunned me. They don't want to have anything to do with me. Again, he says it in verse 9. My friend has shunned me. So he feels abandoned by his friends. You ever felt abandoned by your friends before? Have you ever gone through experiences where your friends will have nothing to do with you? It feels like they've turned their back on you. Perhaps you've had a friend to stab you in the back before. Whatever his experience is, whatever this thing is he's going through, he feels lonely, he feels abandoned, and it begins with his friends. But then it goes even deeper than that. He mentions his beloved having abandoned him in verse 18. His beloved, often used to describe the term for a spouse, which could indicate here a sense of unresponsiveness from his wife toward his suffering. Unresponsiveness. Or, at the very least, a wife who doesn't know how to help her husband's suffering. 
the idea that unless you've gone through it yourself, there are just some situations that are impossible to truly understand. Some situations that make it very difficult to help unless you've been there. Perhaps that's what he's experiencing when he says, my spouse has shunned me. Maybe it's she doesn't get it. Maybe it's she doesn't even want to be around me. She doesn't even want to help me. We don't know. But he feels lonely and abandoned by what should be his closest companion. And then there's this feeling of abandonment from God. Verse 14. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? I'm crying out to you, but God, you've, you've hid yourself from me. He's not hearing anything from God. And because he's not hearing anything from God, he feels as if God is angry at him. He feels as if God has intentionally distanced himself from him. I wonder if you've ever experienced anything like that before. To feel like the more you pray, the more words are just going up in the air and disappearing. Or perhaps maybe the more you pray, the opposite the Lord does. Why are you hiding your face? Why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you helping me? Why are you angry at me? Why do you feel so far away and in summary of all that he is experiencing in Psalm 88 we have the final phrase in verse 18 when he says my friends have become darkness in other words the darkness is my only friend the darkness is my only friend Paul Simon was not the first to record those lyrics. We see here that singer-songwriter Heman first sang, Hello Darkness, my old and only friend. That's his experience. Okay? There's a second thing we need to see about the psalm. And direct your attention to it. Not only his experience, but his praying. That's the second thing, his praying. So he's, he's experiencing the depths of darkness. We see that fully throughout the psalm. But what we also see is that he is still crying out to God. He's still crying out to God. He's in the depths of darkness. He feels like he's about to die. He's been this way from his youth up. Everyone has abandoned him. Even he feels as if God has done the same. What is he still doing? He's still praying. He's still praying. He's still crying out to God. Spurgeon said, real prayer, real prayer is laying your case before the Lord. Isn't that exactly what Heman does here? Here's my case, God. Here's my situation. I feel like you've done this to me. I feel like you've abandoned me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I feel like I'm about to die. When am I ever going to get out of this? I'm praying and you do the opposite of what I'm praying. He's laying out his whole case before the Lord. Spurgeon goes on to say, real prayer is laying your case before the Lord. Then saying, then saying, Lord, 
I do not even now fully understand my own case, but you do. Do with me according to your own wisdom and prudence, and please save your servant, I beg you. Spurgeon said, that's the way to pray. James Montgomery said it like this, prayer is the soul's sincere desire uttered or unexpressed. The motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, the upward glancing of an eye when only God is near. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. Prayer, the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice returning from his ways while angels in their songs rejoice and cry, Behold, he prays. It's remarkable, really, that Heman in all that he is experiencing still looks to God in prayer. And notice how he prays. I wrote down several things in my notes. In verse 1, I noted here that he prayed directly. He prayed directly. Verse 1, O Lord, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Verse 2, let my prayer come before you. Let's not let the obvious slip by us. He's praying directly to God. He's talking to God, a reminder that God gives us open access to him. God invites us to bring our burdens to him. God wants you to lay out your case before him. He wants you to express your deepest and darkest feelings, even when you sense that he's going to turn around and do the opposite. He still wants you to bring it all before him. He wants you to talk to him. And we see here that Heman is talking directly to God. You know, so often in our troubles, we do need to talk. David said, when my mouth kept silent, my bones waxed and hurt in pain. It's, it's not good to go through the sound of silence when you're through darkness. It's good to talk to people. But more important than talking to me and to one another is talking to God. He is praying directly to God. He's not only praying directly, he's praying continually. He's praying continually. Verse 1, I cry out day and night before you. Day and night. Day and night I'm crying out to you. He says in verse 9, every day I call upon you, O Lord. Every day, every day I'm running to you. Verse 13, in the morning, the, the, the emphasis here is, is on the early morning hours. Before anybody else ever gets up, I'm up and my prayer is coming before you. All day, every day, the line of prayer from Heman to God is always open. That's the command of the New Testament to pray without ceasing. It's to keep the line open. It's keep the line open that throughout our day, all day, in the morning, when we go to bed, we keep the line open. We're talking to God. We're continually talking 
to God. He prayed directly. He prayed continually. I find it very interesting here that he prayed emotionally. He prayed emotionally. Verse 1, I cry, he says. I cry out. Verse 2, incline your ear to my cry. My cry. An emotional, passionate plea. Verse 9, he says, my eyes grow dim through sorrow as I call upon you. He even goes on to say that I spread out my hands to you. Do you understand through your own life experiences what he means by this language? All I know to do is to cry to you. All I know to do is to weep to you. My prayer is so emotionally filled with sorrow that I can barely keep my eyes clear and open because of the pain of tears, the emotions of his prayer. Oh, friends, prayer is so much deeper than now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. Prayer is bringing everything to God, emotions and all. I know exactly what he's describing here. Not because I wanted to pray that way, because that was the only way I knew how to pray. Heads, hands lifted to heaven. All I could do was groan. All I could do was cry. Moments when all my prayer was, was a sob. Prayer is not always words. Prayer is oftentimes our emotions being given back to God. He prayed directly. He prayed continually. He prayed emotionally. Did you pick up on how honest he prayed? How honest he prayed? Look at verse 6. He directs it back to God. God, you have put me in the depths of the pit. After all, our Lord is sovereign. He's complaining to God about his situation. Lord, you have put me here. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me. Perhaps this is some indication that what he's experiencing could be partially consequences of sin. He says, you overwhelm me with all your waves. And over and over again, over and over again through the psalm, he says, Lord, you did this. You did this. You know, there have been times in my life as I have gone through what I would experience uh, failures, failures in the sense of ministry failures, spiritual failures, attempting to try things from God, for God, and then fail at that. And I go back and I think, well, wait a minute, Lord, you put that on my heart. 
You put that on my heart. And here I, here I feel like a failure. But Lord, you put this in me. You led me to this place and I have failed at it. Perhaps that's what he's saying here. Lord, Lord, you've, you've overwhelmed me. Lord, you've done this to me. And then he does what we so often do in our suffering. We ask questions in the dark, just like our children. Asking questions in the dark. Daddy, Mommy, will you leave the light on? Daddy, Mommy, I, I hear something in my closet. Are you there? Somebody in the house? In verse 10, he says to God, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grace or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Verse 14, he says, Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? He's telling the Lord transparently and honestly exactly how he feels. And then he prays expectantly. Expectantly. Because notice how he addresses God in verse number one. Oh, Lord God of my salvation, my Savior, the one who has rescued me and who will rescue me. So he doesn't come to God in prayer not believing that God will help him. No, he does come believing. He comes expectantly. He knows that he is praying to the God who can and will rescue him. Can I just say here, when you can't hear from God, keep talking to him. That's what he's doing. He just keeps talking to God. This is what Heman does in the depths of his darkness. He cries out to God all the day long, pouring out himself, emotions and all, to the only one he knows can truly help him. And friends, that's it. That's Psalm 88. A man's experience with darkness and his constant devotion to prayer in that darkness. Well, what about point number three, Pastor? You always give us a point number three, you know, and we, we expect the sequence here, you know, his experience, his prayer, and then we can, we can figure it out. We know where number three is going. His hope. It's not there. All right? Well, number three, his rescue. It's not there. Okay, we'll help you out with this one, Pastor. Number three, God comes and pulls him out of the suffering. It's not there. So then why? Why do we have Psalm 88? Why did God include this type of psalm in the Bible, especially given that there's no note of hope nor any ray of light. Let me give you two reasons why I believe this is the case. Number one, because sometimes we feel exactly like this. I have felt exactly like 
the 88th Psalm. The Psalms have a unique way of putting the right words to our truest feelings. That's why you often find me in Sunday mornings praying the Psalms for our church family. It has the right way to express sometimes how we feel, but we can't find the words to describe it. Sometimes we're like Heman. We're overwhelmed. Our soul's full of trouble. We're uncertain if we're ever going to get out of this. Our friends have abandoned us. Our family doesn't understand us. Our God seemingly is distant from us. We wonder if it will ever get better. And sometimes we've convinced ourselves that it never will get better. Have you felt that? In full transparency, I have known this darkness. I've experienced some of the same feelings that Heman has expressed in this song. Overwhelmed with suffering. Suffering that I feel like I can't get rid of. Having my own friends abandon me. But a psalm like this can be a nightlight in the dark. I like a good nightlight. Criticize me all you want, but if I got to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I want to make sure I can see the way. Or if anybody breaks into my house, I want to look at who I'm going to shoot first. <laughs> I like a good nightlight. Spiritually, when we go through dark seasons, when we're feeling very similar to the way that Heman feels here, this psalm can be a, like a, a nightlight to us. It's a helpful reminder that our own seasons of darkness are indeed expressed in Scripture. So at the very least, we recognize that we are neither alone nor isolated in our experiences. Someone has been where you're at. Someone has walked the same path that you had walked. There's been other believers in the course of history who have gone through exactly the same feelings that you feel today. You are not alone. If for anything else, God gave us Psalm 88 because we can feel this way. It helps us to see that others have experienced the same. But here's the second reason why I believe God gave us Psalm 88, and that is to teach us how to respond in our times of darkness. To teach us how to respond in our times of darkness. I agree with Spurgeon. Psalm 88 is, is one of the darkest of all the Psalms. It's filled, as we have noted, with depression and troubles and loneliness and darkness and helplessness and affliction. He's hurting. There's no question. He's hurting. He's suffering. He's questioning. He's in pain. But he is still talking to God. He is still praying to his Savior. Think about it. He's praying from the pain. He's praying in the pain. And he's praying through the pain. If all he can get out is a faint whisper or just a troubled 
grown, he still looks to God and expresses the best that he knows how, exactly how this darkness feels to him. There's so much that this prayer by Heman teaches us. It teaches us to pray in the darkest moments of our life. The late nights, waking up, wrestling back and forth, the anxiety, the worry, the depression, I, the chronic suffering, the, the wondering if I'm ever going to get out of this, will I ever feel differently than I feel right now. In that moment, God says, run to him, run to him, pray. Pray. If all you can do is cry, go cry to God. If all you do is lay out your case, go lay out your case before God. It teaches us that in the darkest moments of our lives, we need to pray. We need to pray. It teaches us to bring our complaints to God. I know you may have told your children, don't come complaining to me. But God wants you to come complaining to him. And notice, this is throughout the Psalms. By the way, they're not complaining about God in the Psalms. They're complaining to God in the Psalms. To God. This is how I feel. This is what you've allowed in my life. This is what I'm experiencing. I, I need some answers. I need some help. I need some hope. I need some direction. He teaches us to be honest in our prayers. God already knows anyway. One of the best things that we can do is to honestly and transparently before God and God alone tell him exactly how we feel. And he teaches us to keep talking to God, to keep talking to God even when we're not hearing from him. Even when we're not hearing from him. So why do we have Psalm 88? Because sometimes we feel like this. And when we feel like this, we need to know how to respond. But again, where's the hope? Let's fast forward to where we live today. Because the hope, even though it may not be written in the psalm, the hope is in what we know to be true. In our darkest despair, here's what is true. Here's what is true. We may feel like God has abandoned us, but he has not abandoned us. He has not. You may feel that way, but he has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned you. He is right where he has always been, with you, in you, guiding you, leading you. He is there. He has never abandoned you. In fact, this is where the gospel implications of the psalm come to light. Because Jesus took the abandonment that our sin deserved so that his people would never be abandoned by God. When God turned his back on his son at Calvary, he turned his back on Jesus so that he would never turn his back on you. It's why Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's there even when you can't feel it. And here's something else we need to know that has gospel implications. He has experienced the darkest of all darkness. 
Matthew 27, 45 tells us on the day of the crucifixion, darkness fell all over the land. He has experienced the darkest of all darkness. So he is not afraid of being with you in your darkness. In other words, God is not afraid of the dark. We are. But that's why he is with us. Because he has gone through this. He has experienced this. He is there. You are never alone. Don't stop talking to him. Where's the hope? The hope is Jesus. His cross is our hope. And the empty tomb is our light. And I began the psalm by telling you that Psalm 88 is one of the darkest because there's not a note of hope and there's not a ray of light, but not your darkness. No, for your darkness, there is the cross. For your darkness, there is the empty tomb. And where there is the cross of Christ and the empty tomb of Christ, there is both hope and light. I end with a wonderful chorus of lyrics that came to my mind as I was thinking about the hope that we have in Jesus and the empty tomb in particular by good old Bill Gaither. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth living. Because he lives. That's the hope. That life is still worth living even in the darkness because we know Jesus lives. And because he lives, we will live also. Well, you say, Pastor, I meant to come to be encouraged tonight. I hope that it does. Because until you walk through it, and one day you will, when you're sitting in the darkness, then you'll understand just how precious Psalm 88 is to your life. Let's bow our heads together for prayer.